Welcome to the city. If you're new here, if we hadn't had a chance to meet, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're glad to, to have you today. And, and you may not be aware, but we were going through the book of Luke. Uh, we've been doing that for several months now. We're to Luke chapter 5 today, so we're moving along. But, you know, at the city, we, we just have a real heart for God's word, and we know how important it is for us as followers of Jesus, if we're going to be faithful followers, we need a good understanding of scripture and God's word in context. We need to be studying it. And so that's why we're committed to teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through the Bible. And uh, today, you know, it, first of all, if you missed last week, if you missed any of the weeks, I encourage you to take advantage of the app, go back and watch whatever you've missed. Man, I, I've just been learning so much personally. I've been growing so much. And we've been the last couple of weeks kind of looking at the very start of Jesus's ministry. If you missed last week, it was crazy. I mean, people were getting healed. Those demons getting cast out all over the place. It was amazing. But today we're going to slow things down just a little bit. And we're going to talk about fishing, not fishing, fishing. Let's go fishing. That's what we're calling today. Let's go fishing. That's one of my favorite phrases to hear. In fact, if you tell me, let's go fishing, I'm going to say, let's go. Like, where are we going? Show me, show me where. I love to fish. You know, fishing is one of those things, either you love it or you're not really that into it. I don't know a lot of people that are kind of middle of the road. How many of you guys love to fish? How many of you guys, like, you don't really care for fishing? Yeah, so these are the people that never catch anything. That's why they, they don't like to fish. Just kidding. But I love to fish. I grew up going to South Padre a lot to fish uh, the bays there, like saltwater fishing. That's what I know and what I love. Mark, in case you didn't know, the one that was just singing here, he's, he's kind of a master of the freshwater. He fishes for bass a lot. And we've been taking each other and kind of trying to teach each other our, our ways, right? And so here's a couple of examples. Like he took me bass fishing. It's one of the first bass I ever caught. Apparently it's a good one. I don't know. Uh, and then I, I took him... Some uh, on the bay, some saltwater fishing. This is a speckled trout. That's what we catch a lot of. There's my brother-in-law and my dad in the boat. Uh, and obviously he likes to dress like a ninja when he fishes. He thinks it helps him. I don't know. Um, but but we, we love fishing. My, my family loves to fish. My kids have loved fishing. Um, but specifically, my, my youngest son, Xander, he loves to fish. I mean, he's all about it. He's obsessed with it. And when we go, that's all he talks about. That's all he wants to do. And, um, you know, he, he's... Almost 12 now, but a few years ago, we were out fishing one day, and it was myself and my wife, Jennifer, and him. And, you know, we're trying all the regular spots. We're just not catching anything. The wind's out of the wrong direction. We're, we're not drifting the, the normal way. We're, so we're trying some new things, trying some different drifts we don't normally try. And I'm in the back of the boat, and uh, my wife's in kind of the middle. Xander's on the front so that he can catch. You know, that's where you put kids when, so they don't cast and, like, take your head off, you know, with the pole or hook you or something. So he's up there, he's doing good, doing his, he casts his own rod, and he's baiting his own hooks and stuff. But he, he says to me, as we're drifting there, he's like, Dad, I just saw a redfish. So a redfish is a red drum. Like if you do this kind of fishing, like it's what you live to catch. I mean, they're the most amazing fish to, to try to get into the boat. They put up a big fight and it's kind of a trophy fish. And, you know, it kind of occurs to me in that moment, he's never even seen a redfish. He doesn't know what a redfish is, you know. So I do the dad thing, and I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, yeah, sure you do. Hey, why don't you go ca cast it over there, see if you can catch him. 30 seconds later, dad, I got a big one. And sure enough, he had hooked a massive redfish. I still don't know <laughs> how he did it or what even he was talking about. He didn't know what he was talking about. He still, he pulled it off. I had to help him get it in the boat because... They put up a huge fight, but we got it in the boat. We get it back to the dock because, 
you know, if you fish, it's all about the picture. It's like a pick or it didn't happen, right? You got to have evidence of the fish. And if you know anything about taking pictures of fish, you don't just take a picture of the fish. You got to hold it a certain way. You push it in towards the camera just a little bit, right? So it looks even, even bigger as you're holding it. That's the trick of the trade in case you didn't know. Um, but we, we finally got, you know, I set him up with this, this huge fish. He's just a little guy and he's, he's holding it, you know, and I'm trying to get the, the perfect picture. And fish, you know, after they die, they can have some muscle spasms and stuff. And this particular fish, like, he kind of gulped and his gills closed on Xander's hand and it freaked him out. And I, I got the picture right as this happened. This is the picture we got. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, it clamped down on his thumb. His thumb was bleeding. It was kind of an ordeal, but, but finally we got him set up for the actual picture. There it is. His, his reds are on. Uh, but everybody loves a good fishing story. If you don't, you should. And today we're going to get one of the best fishing stories ever. And it comes to us out of Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be verse 1 through 11. I've asked Marcus to come read our scripture today. He's going to come. And as he does, I want to ask you guys to stand just out of reverence of the scripture. And Marcus will read for us. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. My name is Marcus Johnson. Uh, here at the City Church, I serve in prayer ministry. I'm also a part of the First Impressions team, and I help co-lead our Empowerment Bible Study City Group, which meets every Monday morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Thanks, Marcus. You guys can have a seat. So remember where we've been. Um, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's been around healing people, casting out demons. He's teaching. He's developed this following. And he, he finds himself in this place where the crowds are pressing in around him. And he's, he's backed up to the Sea of Galilee. And he decides to get in Peter's boat and kind of preach from there, which seems like a brilliant idea to me. You know, you combine preaching and being in a boat, like, sign me up. I didn't get much better than that. 
seems like a, a brilliant idea. But see, if these were a couple, let me point out a couple of kind of interesting things, and then we're going to go through verse by verse and, and pull some things out I want you to see. But first of all, if this is kind of an average fishing boat from those times, it's a pretty big boat. They're anywhere from 20 to 30 feet long, seven feet wide. And, and there's, there's two of them here. Uh, Luke doesn't make mention of this, but along with, with Simon Peter is Andrew. Andrew's also in the boat. And uh, the other boat is James and John, sons of Zebedee. So the other gospels kind of point this out. But again, Luke is focusing on Simon Peter. Uh, um, you know, by the way, you know, throughout the sermons today, if I say Simon Peter, or if I say Simon, or if I say Peter, we're talking about Peter here, okay? The Peter, uh, because... Uh, Jesus later on changes his name, just shortens it just to Peter. If, if Jesus decides to change your name, you have a new name. And that's just the way it goes. Just ask Saul Paul. It kind of happened the same way for him. Uh, but we're talking about Peter here. Peter is the, the, the focus of Luke's narrative. And that's kind of what we're going with here. So there's two boats. Jesus gets in Peter's boat. And let's keep reading in verse 4. He said, when he had finished speaking, this Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Simon, Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say go, I'll let the nets down again. One quick interesting thing, he, he calls him Master Master, like typically Jesus would have been called teacher. This is kind of the polite way to refer to, to Jesus if you didn't really know him that well. Master is what Jesus' followers called him. So this is kind of the first hint that Peter realizes this guy's different. There's something different about him. Remember, Peter had seen all the miracles. If you remember from last week, it was Peter's mother-in-law that Jesus healed. So he's seen it with his own eyes. And here he's kind of realizing Jesus isn't just a teacher. He isn't just a rabbi. There, there's something special going on. So, so Jesus tells him, Let, let's, let's go out and go fishing. Now, now think, think through this. There's some irony here, right? That's what these guys did. They fished for a living. They were professional fishermen. And here you have the son of a carpenter, a preacher, telling these fishermen when and where to go fish. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And in fact, Jesus is telling them exactly the opposite thing that they should be doing because, because uh, the, these guys don't fish during the day. They fished at night. Conditions weren't right to go fishing. Pa Peter knows this. You can hear it in his answer. He's like, listen, we've, we worked all night. We didn't catch anything. So what good is it going to do to go out during the day and try to catch fish, right? It seemed to be a complete waste of time because you, you catch fish in shallow water at night, not deep water during the day. This kind of fishing they were doing. See, fish like to hide. They like to, to get down deep where it's, it's dark in, in the heat of the day. And then at night, they come to the surface and they come to the banks and they eat. That's where you can, you can net the fish. This is what they were accustomed to doing their entire lives. So, so Peter here agrees to do something that at, at face value just seems completely foolish. But Jesus asked him, so he does it. And you know what happens. This time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. Soon, both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. So the nets tear. The, the boats are about to sink. This was like a, a record-breaking catch, right? This is like a, a lifetime goal kind of thing for a fisherman. It's probably the best day fishing they had ever had. 
If you fish, you live for days like this. You, you've had days like this where you, you caught the trophy fish or you had one of those days where you, everybody caught their limit day after day and it was just an amazing time fishing. This is what kind of keeps you coming back. This isn't one of those, you know, oh, well, a bad day fish, fishing beats a good day working. You know, it was a good day fishing, which beats everything. It was an amazing day for them to see what Jesus was showing them. He was demonstrating for them that he is the Lord of the sea and all that is in it. He's demonstrating that everything on the earth and under the earth is under his control. This is a huge, pivotal moment in Peter's life. A turning point. You can see what happens next in verse 8. He says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus. He said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man. So, so, so wait a minute. We, we have Peter who wasn't calling him teacher or rabbi. He was calling him master. Now, all of a sudden, what's he calling him? He's calling him Lord. And by Lord, he, he means God. He didn't say this on accident. He, he's realizing that he's in the presence of something divine. He went from calling him master, which is respectful, to Lord, by which he means God. And all of a sudden, he's, he's talking about sin. What, what are we doing here? Like We were just fishing, and now all of a sudden, he's calling Jesus God, and he's talking about how sinful he is. Something's happened. See, this is an appropriate response from Peter because he's just realized he's in the presence of God. This is called a theophany. A theophany is a manifestation or appearance of God to a person. This, this is Peter's theophany. This is his moment where he comes face to face with a holy and righteous God. And he can't handle it. See, he's a devout Jew. He's a good Jewish boy. He knows that only God is to be worshipped. That's one of the big ten, the thou shalts. He knows he's only supposed to worship God. And here he is bowing at the feet of a carpenter and calling him God. See, Peter, know, Peter knew that if he saw God, God saw him. The one that could see the depths of this lake could see the depths of his heart, he felt exposed before God. And he immediately fell at his feet and worshiped him. See, this miracle for Peter, no matter how many he's seen before and his mother-in-law and all of that, this was different because it was in his boat. <laughs> it was his calling to be a fisherman. It was his nets. It was after his own failure, like he got to witness this thing firsthand. It was personal for Peter because that's what Jesus does. Jesus got personal with Peter. Just, just like last week, you remember, you had all these people wanting to be healed by Jesus. And to save time, he could have just been like, you're all healed. But he didn't do that. He went to every single individual, spent time with them, touched every single one of them, healed them. Jesus is a personal God. And so what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, don't be afraid. Don't 
be afraid. This, this is what you hear over and over and over throughout scripture. Anytime someone has their own theophany, anytime anybody is in the presence of God or one of his messenger angels, they're, they're always afraid and they always get told what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. John MacArthur summarizes it this way. When you look throughout scripture, Peter's response of fear is typical of those in the presence of God. Abraham described himself as dust and ashes. Job humbly said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. After encountering the angel of the Lord, who was the pre-incarnate Jesus, Samson's father said, we will surely die for we have seen God. When the Israelites saw the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and saw Mount Sinai smoking, they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. After seeing a vision of God in his heavenly temple, Isaiah cried out in terror, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. After Ezekiel saw a vision of God, he fell on his face. And when John saw the glorified Christ, he fell at his feet like a dead man. This is what flesh does when it encounters a holy and righteous God. When it encounters the manifest presence of God, it bows, it submits, it bends the knee, it, it breaks, it has no other choice. So Peter, Peter goes down, he's face down, he's worshiping, Jesus, but Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. See, Peter in this moment's kind of horrified because he realizes that Jesus can see his sin. Peter wants to send Jesus away. He's like, you know, woe is me. Go away from me. I'm such a sinful man. See, but Jesus wanted to draw Peter closer. At that very point, when, when a sinner feels alienated, like when their sin is exposed before a holy God, this is the point that the person wants to run away, but that the Savior seeks reconciliation. We've all had this moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you realize that you're before a holy and a righteous God, and suddenly you're aware of your own sin. You have this moment where you want to run and hide, you're ashamed, but God wants to pull you in. He wants to deal with your sin problem. You remember God in the garden with Adam and Eve and they've just sinned and they've suddenly become aware of their own nakedness and they're ashamed and they go and hide. What does God do? He goes out looking for them. You see, Jesus in this moment wants to, to bring Peter in to, to do something new in his life, to deal with his sin problem. He wants to have a relationship with Peter. So he tells him, he tells him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. So again, he's getting personal with Peter. He's talking about the thing that Peter knows best, fishing. And he's putting a little twist on it here. And he's telling him, you're going to fish for people. You're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a witness for Jesus. He's telling Peter, listen, you're going to tell the world about me. Now, some people argue that this, this fishing metaphor is, is not a good one because of what happens to the fish after you catch it. In case you don't know, the fish dies and then it gets cut up and you, you eat it, right? In my life, I've probably cleaned thousands of fish and it's not a pretty sight. You cut it open, you take the meat out, 
You throw the guts to the birds, you know, and they catch them. It's real fun. You throw the carcass back in the water and the other fish eat it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a pretty thing, but, but listen, I think it's a perfect metaphor. Number one, because Jesus said it. Obviously, Jesus thinks it's a good metaphor. I don't know who these people are questioning Jesus' metaphors, but they need to check themselves, right? Because it's the perfect one. If you think about it, when you catch a fish, you, you haul it out from the darkness below into the light above. And yes, the fish dies, but this is fishing for men. Dropping nets into the deep, into the darkness. Remember, that's the thing about fish. They want no part of the light. They want to stay where it's dark. They, they fear the light. So you bring men and women out of darkness and yes, they die and they were born again. To come out of darkness into light requires death to yourself. So, so in this, we're, we're sharing with Jesus and his death, but not just his death, his resurrection, because this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus didn't stay dead. He walked out of the, the tomb and we don't stay dead. We are born again. We have new life. We are a new creation. We change into something different, something new, something more beautiful. This is what we symbolize with baptism. When we baptize people and we, we dip them under the water, we're symbolizing the, the commitment they've made to Jesus and what's happened to them spiritually. We, we push them under the water, down into the deep, right? Into the darkness, out into the light. We say buried with Christ. We're, we're, we're sharing with Jesus in his death, buried with Christ and raised to walk in light, a new kind of life, reconciliation with God, a new relationship, free to walk in the light as he is in the light. This is the good news of the gospel. The problem is some people, some fish choose to stay in the darkness. You see, when we have our own theophany moment, when we're confronted with the real God, a holy and righteous God, and we're suddenly aware of our own sin, we have a choice to make. We've all faced it. My, my question for you today is, what, what have you chosen? Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you chosen to surrender your life to, to walk with God? Or... Have you chosen the safety and the comfort of the darkness? I'm pleading with you today, if, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you've never had a moment where you surrendered your life to him and you walk with Jesus, you have a personal, real, intimate relationship with him. If you don't have that in your life, you can have it today. That's what Jesus was put on the earth for. See, we're not perfect. God's standard is perfection. We're far from perfect, but Jesus was perfect. That's why he made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He, he died a death on the cross for us. He paid our fine. And now we have that opportunity to put our faith in Jesus, what he did for us, to be made right with God, for the forgiveness of your sin. You're, you're dragged out of the darkness into the light. And yes, you, you die to yourself, but you're a new creation. You're born again. Like your, your slate is wiped clean. You get to start life over with him. Your past is gone. Your mistakes are erased. That's good news. So if you want to make that decision today, man, don't waste another second. 
decide today to follow Jesus. And we, as your church family, we want to walk with you in that process too. We want to talk to you about your relationship with him, how to grow in it, what your next steps are in your relationship with him. Let us know. Jump on the app uh, to, to our connect form. And we'd love to get in contact with you and talk to you more about that. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about believing. Remember last week, the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. They believed he was the son of God. It's not just about believing, it's about following Jesus. It's an active faith. Are you choosing to follow him? See, the guys in that boat that day, they, they made a choice to follow Jesus. In verse 11, as soon as they landed, as soon as they, they didn't, they didn't go sell the fish. They didn't go tell everybody the stories. As soon as they hit the banks, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything and followed Jesus. The gospel of Mark says that James and John, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with all the hired men and they, they followed him. Left their dad. Matthew says in his gospel that immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. But here you have Luke who's focusing on Peter. He points out that all of them, all of them left what? Everything. And remember, this is not just any day. This is the biggest fishing day of their careers. This was a big deal. This was like the pinnacle of their earthly careers, like having just made the greatest catch of fish they've ever seen. They could have thought, hey, we're on to something here. They fishing, like we'll be the only ones, you know, we've cornered the market. But something happened when they realized who Jesus was. They were willing to abandon their boats. They turned their backs on their fishing careers. They left everything, everything. They left it on the shore and they followed Jesus. Think about how special of a moment that must have been, how life-changing it must have been, that moment with Jesus to make a decision like that. Here's the thing, his, his call to Peter and Andrew and James and John that day, it's the same call he's making to you and to me. Let's go. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna be fishers of men, there's some things that he requires of us that go way beyond just believe, believing. These are our takeaways today. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first thing is, he wants your boat. He wants your boat. See, he got in Peter's boat and that boat became his pulpit. See, your boat is your life. Let Jesus use your life as his pulpit, as his stage. God, here's my life. My life is not my own. My boat isn't mine. God, get in my boat and use it for your glory. Like, let my life be your stage. Well, well, how do you do that? You live for Jesus. You live for him. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all the days. You walk with Jesus. And you, you share your story. See, everybody has a story here. God gave you a story for a reason. Every person in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a testimony of his faithfulness in your life. The things that he's brought you through, maybe difficulties that he's, he's brought you through, the ways that you've grown and learned and, and answers to prayer, all of that stuff. He gave you a story for a reason. And that reason is to give him glory. But here's the catch. If you don't share it, he gets no glory. 
He gave you a story for a reason, and that's to share it. Your greatest pain in your life, this is the way God operates a lot of time. Your greatest pain becomes your platform. Your hurt is someone else's healing. Your mess becomes your message. All of the cliches, right? But it's, it's true. That's how he's, he's wired us. Who in your life needs what you have to say? What have you been through that you've learned so much and, and you could share so much with someone, but you keep it to yourself? He wants your boat. He wants your life to become his platform. Secondly, he wants your obedience. Obedience is everything. Remember, Jesus told Peter to do something that was completely backwards and made no sense to, to a fisherman. It wouldn't work, right? Except that it, it did. Peter even said that. This makes no sense, but okay, since you're asking me, I'll give it a try. And think about this. This was backwards for a fisherman. Everyone knew this. There was a huge crowd of people that sees these guys push off and go fishing in the middle of the day. It looked like nonsense. Like Peter in front of multitudes of people was willing to look like a complete idiot in order to be obedient to Jesus. What about you? Are you willing to look like a fool for him? Are you willing to be embarrassed for him? Are you willing to step into awkwardness for him? Or are you too concerned with you and how you'll look and your discomfort or doing things your way or your own safety or whatever else? See, Peter relents. I know it won't work, but if you say go, I'll go. Then the nets break and the boats are almost sinking. And, and, and the bottom line is this, just like he did with Peter, God is able to do so much more in you and through you than you could even possibly ask or imagine. But you have to trust him and go his way. Think about this. If Peter, in that moment, in that pivotal moment of his life, had said, no, 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 I'm good. Like, there's no fish out there. I'm, I mean, do you see these people? What are they going to say? Like, if, if Peter in that moment turned Jesus down, number one, he would have no fish. But number two, look at what he would have missed. Think about that. He's about to embark on the most amazing journey of a lifetime, walking side by side with Jesus for three and a half years, witnessing his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And he was the one after the Holy Spirit fell in that upper room, he was the one that stepped down on that platform and told everyone there the good news of the gospel. And 3,000 people were saved that day. And he was one of the few that birthed this new Jesus movement that continues to this day. We are descendants of Peter, spiritually. He would have missed out on all of that if he would have played it safe and done things his way. He wants your boat. He wants your obedience. And third, he wants your humility. This is where it gets difficult. He wants your humility. Peter, in that moment when he came face to face with God, he, he hit his face and he worshiped Jesus, a cool story about Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham obviously had this gigantic ministry that spanned decades where tens and maybe probably hundreds of thousands of, of people came to Jesus. 
through his ministry. I mean, truly amazing. A reporter asked Billy Graham one time, what's the first question you're going to ask God when you get to heaven? What did Billy Graham say? He said, why me? Why me? That's humility. See, Peter, when he raised those nets up full of fish, he didn't say, oh, how blessed I am, how highly favored I must be. Like God is surely shining down upon me. No, he said, woe is me. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. His face hit the ground, he worshiped an all-powerful holy God that could see straight through him to the core of his being. See, see, this is what happens. Remember back to that theophany. This is what happens when people have a genuine encounter with God. They aren't lifted high with pride. They aren't puffed up, they are humbled. Is this what you see when you look at Christians on social media? Do you see humility or do you see somebody puffed up, maybe pairing a scripture out of context with a picture of their face? Jesus, he needs our humility. <laughs> There's no other way to serve him than to bow the knee, to lift him up. Let others see him and us. See, God says that we should humble ourselves before him and he will lift us up. One of the commentators said it this way. He said, what Peter does not realize is that admitting one's inability in sin is the best prerequisite for service since then. One can depend on God. Catch, catch this part. Peter's confession becomes his resume for service. Humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. Humility. See, when you humble yourself, you, you let God work through your life. You give him your boat. You won't have to lift yourself up. You won't have to scratch and claw and strive to be something you're not, trying to oppress people, trying to make something of yourself. No, Jesus says, bow the knee to me and I'll do something in and through you that will blow your mind. He says, my plans are greater than your plans. You have no clue. Peter couldn't have dreamed what God was about to do through his life. A fisherman. boat, your obedience, your humility in the last step. He wants you to leave everything, everything. Those guys walked away from all of it with no assurances. They walked away from everything to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that God's asking you to quit your job or move somewhere else, but he could. I'm talking about total surrender of everything in your life. Again, not just believing, not just attending church, but laying everything down, even the good things. Like what in your life are you holding too tightly to? Surrender all of it, lay it at his feet. Your spouse, your kids, your job, your finances, your hobbies, your addictions, your biases, your politics, your version of the truth, what you think is right, your presuppositions about God and who he is and, and about you and who you are. Lay it all down, let it all go. Following Jesus means total surrender and obedience and, and being fishers of men. You've heard it said this way, disciples, which is what we are, disciples of Jesus, disciples make 
disciples. It's just a byproduct of your life. When, when Jesus is on that pulpit of your life, that's just a byproduct of what happens. You're following Jesus. You're living it out for the world to see. Not perfectly, right? But honestly, people are drawn to that. And you will be a disciple that makes disciples. Here's a difficult question for you. When was the last time you had the experience of sharing Jesus with someone and you watched that person turn their life over to him? When was the last time? I know for me, I wish it was more often. I, I wasted too many years of being afraid of what people would think and afraid of not knowing what to say, afraid maybe my lifestyle and my choices wouldn't match up to my message and what I'm saying and people wouldn't take me seriously, they wouldn't listen to me, I'd be a hypocrite. Sound familiar? Until I realized he just, he just wants me to live for him. He just wants me to walk with him every day, in every situation. This is his ultimate purpose and calling for each and every one of us. So kind of keying in on the obedience part here, you know, we don't want to hear and not do, right? We want to do something. So, so I'm going to give you a couple of different just challenges. And my, my prayer for you is that you ask God today, which, which of these is for you? Like, what is he asking of you specifically? And then what can you start doing that you're not doing now? So the first challenge I have for you is this, make a name list, easy, practical step. You wanna get your heart turned towards the things that break the heart of God. Scripture tells us that God wishes that no one perish. There are people in your life that you know and love that aren't right with God, that are far from Him, that are gonna spend eternity separated from Him unless they turn their heart to Jesus. Easter's coming, it's a great time to start thinking about who can you invite to church? People are open to coming to church on Easter in our part of the country. Make a name list, write their names down. Think about them right now. Like who is it in your life that it would break your heart to think about them spending eternity separated from God? And think about the fact that you're in their life for a reason. If you don't tell them who will, what can you do in their life to make a difference? Write their names down. Put it where you can see them. Pray for them. Pray for them. God starts changing your heart, man. It, I know it's hard to think about, it's hard to look at, but when you start praying for people in your life like, like this, it, it does something to you. And you're around them, you might just be hanging out watching the game or whatever, but you're around this person and that's what you're thinking about. You're on mission. And you would be amazed at the opportunities that God creates for you in those situations if you're just thinking about them. So, so sh uh, make your name list and then share your story. Like pray, God, pray to God for opportunities to, you know, when he cracks that door open to step through it, give you the, the courage, not, not to start sharing the Roman road with them or whatever, and not to stand on the street corner yelling at people that they're going to hell or whatever. I'm talking about in context of your relationships with people, you have that, that currency that no one else does to speak into their life and just pray for God to give you boldness to step through the crack in that door and just share a little bit of your story. Tell, tell people what God is doing in your life, what he's done for you. Let your pain become your platform. And then finally, surrender to him. What, what is it in your life? Name it, picture it in your head. What is it in your life that's taken over that number one spot? What is it in your life that you're holding on too tightly to 
that's holding you back in your relationship with him, keeping you from being used by God, what is it? Identify it. Leave the nets, leave your boat completely and humbly surrender to Jesus and then watch what he'll do in and through your life. You know, when I think about people I've come across in my life, there's one person that stands out when we're talking about doing these things. There's one person that stands out in my mind who, who does it better than anybody else I know. And that's Greg McClanahan. You might've heard his name. He's one of our foreign mission partners in Chiapas, Mexico, Harvest Evangelistic Association. Um, Clayton's been down there a ton of times. I've been on a few mission trips down there with him. Uh, Mark's been down and, and it really is a life-changing experience. He's, he, he's a guy that's completely given up all of everything. We're talking about like he walked away from his boat <laughs> and his nets and he followed Jesus into some of the most unreached parts of Southern Mexico and all across the world to share Jesus. He, he lives it out. And I remember this one story in particular that stands out in my mind. Um, we were, their, their, their compound, their kind of headquarters is up on this mountain in San Cristobal. And we were ministering down in Tuxla, the capital city that's down this mountain. And there's a tollway that they've built to make it easy to get up and down the mountain. And um, this particular day, so there's some political things happening and, and this group had taken over the toll booths and shut down the highway. And we were stuck down in, in Tuxla, no way to get back. And so there's 15 of us in this, crammed in this 15 passenger van. Uh, Phil was there, you know, our, our, one of our guys that makes all of our videos, he was playing bass today. Um, Jacob was there, he's one of our, our pastors that does, um, a pastor of CDU. We were, we were in this van and like tired, you know, wanting to get home. We'd been probably pouring concrete all day or something. And so there's these two armed guards that are on the side of the road with like machine guns. They looked like serious. We pull over, Greg gets out and just starts talking to him. <laughs> and I'm like, this dude is crazy. Like I, 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 he's asking, you know, what we're supposed to do, but I'm like, man, it's such, such an intimidating situation, right? And he's out there and he's laughing with him and slapping him on the back. And one thing he loves to do is like, he, he's white obviously, and he's in South, South, Southern, I mean, almost Guatemala. He's way down there in Mexico. And he, he likes to make people think at first that he doesn't speak Spanish, right? Like he'll say, uh, no speaking to Spanish, and then they'll look at him and then he'll start speaking fluent Spanish. That's like his in with every conversation. It's funny to watch, but he, he did that with these guys and he's out there forever. And we're like, what is this guy doing? He finally gets back in the van and he's like, yeah, we're gonna have to go around this other way. And he's like, oh, I got to share the love of Jesus with him. And like that floored me. I'm like, I couldn't think of a worse time <laughs> to, to talk to someone about Jesus. Like it was the last thing on my mind. But he, he did it, why? Because his life is not his own. He's given God his boat, his obedience and humility. He's walked away from everything. His life is Jesus' platform and he lives it wherever he goes. I wanna encourage you as we sing, open yourself up to what God is saying to you. Don't, don't do what the fish wants to do and head for the safety of the darkness. Step into the light. 
Ask Him what He's asking you to do. What, what, what have we talked about today that, that got you like, man, that's, that's me, and then do something about it. Change something. Make a change. Go a different direction. And just wait and see what God will do through your life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to challenge us. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us where we are. God, we, we wanna change. And I know we've got our own lives and we've got our own ambitions and our own careers and we've got all the things going on. But God, our ultimate purpose should be wherever we are and whatever we're doing to live these things for you to let your, your light shine through us. God, that when people look at us, they see you. And I know we're not gonna live it perfectly. We're not gonna make all the right decisions, but God, we wanna shine bright for you. So, so in these moments, God, in humility, we, we just bow before you and we say, woe is me. And we ask you to so just put your finger on that thing in us that needs attention. God, press on it in this moment and give us the, the, the courage to hand it over to you. God, we wanna walk out of here a different person than we came in and only you can do that. So speak to us, God, in these moments. In your name.